it was like I was leaving the metro station in Tisentralen or leaving the metro station going home. I was never like worried or feeling that something will happen to me. Welcome to Here There Be Dragons. This season, I'm taking you to Stockholm. I'm your host, Jess Myers. Episode 9, T-Centralen. Everyone is running around. That's where, like, most demonstrations are held. It's just crowded. It's a commercialization. There is, like, a lot of police. It's fun. It's fun. I like it there. I know everybody's in a hurry. Chaoticness. But you don't have to be that rude, you know? (laughs) When I landed in Arlanda Airport, on my way to see Stockholm for the first time, I was armed with some idiot-proof directions. Take the airport shuttle towards City Terminal and do not take the Arlanda Express train. That's three times the price. I'll meet you at City Terminal and bus station if you text, okay? Okay, got it. After an uneventful bus trip past farmhouses and red cladding and skinny pine trees, I finally arrived at City Terminal, a.k.a. T-Centralen. As the only train station that connects all three of Stockholm's subway lines and the regional rail, T-Centralen is the busiest subway station in Sweden. And it felt that way. When I stepped off the bus and wheeled into the melee of the station, past a shopping center that could rival the malls of my native New Jersey, shoulder to shoulder with other commuters, I loaded the SL Access subway pass my friend handed to me. And with his help, thank you Bjorn, shouldered a duffel past the head height sliding door turnstile. An elevator later, we were waiting on the red line platform, and I have to say, a little out of breath. Being in T-Centralen was the only time I felt like I was back in New York. There was all the bustle that I didn't see in the city itself, and the train station also connects to Segelstory, which is a huge square that's been used for some of the most visible protests in the city, and to Kulturhuset, which is a home for a series of accessible libraries and theaters. All this unique density creates an opportunity for interaction that doesn't exist anywhere else in the city. As Samuel said all the way back in episode four. Who gets on and off where? And that was like the people of color, the working class people, the families who are migrant or have migrant backgrounds always live on the far outsides of the subway lines. The subway can tell you a lot about the geography of a city, who gets off where and why. But at the central train station, those wires all get crossed, and people are there for all types of reasons, to work, to shop, to hustle, to hand out, to protest, to get out as soon as possible. But where there are lots of people, there tends to be a lot of control. As open as the train station is to the public, its closeness to commerce and protests also draws a lot of police. So T-Centralen ticks a lot of factors on the Stockholm spectrum between fear and security. One, crowded. Two, unpredictable. Three, 
controlled. We'll be navigating all three of these as we do the unimaginable. Take our time in T-Centralen. I avoid it if I can, because it's not even like one-off uh, racist uh, attacks, but also people in T-Centralen, I know everybody's in a hurry, but you don't have to be that rude, you know? <laughs> so if I can avoid it and go off either in Freedom's Plan, change trains, or go off in Sluice and change trains, that's what I do. I just avoid the train station in T-Centralen. Perhaps it's the like uh, the stress of the whole situation that you almost feel like you're a part of a like uh, big ant community where everyone is running around and having, I mean, not really connecting to each other and just um, the stress of it being so many people in, in a small area and um, perhaps not having your like personal space. The chaos, chaotic. Um, ness of it uh, I mean because I don't have any problem at all uh, being on a, in a concert standing back together and looking at the same direction and everything has it, everyone is there for a reason and uh, the same reason so perhaps it's something of the, the chaotic nature of it uh, at Tessentral at least The central station is also like a place where it's safe and not safe it's like in between all the time I mean it's Obviously, very safe in one sense, and in another sense, it's not safe at all. So the exposure of of uh, people is like both ways, I would say. That is sort of like the public space where you like the more people it is in the public space, you are more exposed to the sort of like other people. It's unpredictable in that sense because it's the theater center. It's the most people. It's the most sounds. And also, because it's a, it's a bottleneck, all kinds of people are passing through or are in the city center. Well, the most most is that it's so stressful, so much stressful energy, and people you just feel like you're you're standing in someone's way all the time. And also because uh, a lot of the the really people living on the street are also living around the city center and. Many of them have real, real severe health issues and can't. They are very spontaneous. It has actually happened that some, some person have jumped me, and you can just see on them that they are high on something and uh, they can't control themselves. And you, you can have a, have an understanding about in what kind of situation they are, but it's quite still um, fretful encountering a person like that. In the stress of T-Centralen, a lot of Stockholmers had their own strategies for keeping their cool. Growing up in New York, um, as a woman, as a girl, you always learned strategies. You learned ways of creating this sort of wall around you when you need it. So you give off the vibe that, you know, yeah, you can bother me, but it's going to be a problem for you as well. So people think twice. I always walk like I know where I'm going, even if I don't, <laughs> for example. I always walk looking up. I try not to be on my phone or, or I always try to, to look like I'm aware of what's around me. I always try to look at people, like directly. 
Um, and if somebody who I think is testing the waters looks at me, then I stare back, like really just actively, maybe even arrogantly. Because, I mean, it's something my mother taught me and, and, and it's actually worked. Then, then, it's, then I also kind of scan the area. Uh, so to see if, okay, do I need to cross the street? Do I need to, you know, you sort of plan a few seconds ahead. Like, what's my exit strategy? What's just, you know, just have a little plan in your head as to what's going to happen. Um, things can happen on the subway, for example. Um, and I, I've had a lot of friends who've been harassed in different ways on the subway. One of the things I don't do is sit in in the window. Like at night, I sit on the on the outside seat. And the same thing I, I teach my daughter. It's like, you sit on the outside seat because you don't want to be pinned in. You always want to be able to, to find a way out. So, yeah, those are some of my, my strategies. Well, so many things that Andrea said was really very interesting. And I, really, but I, and I also realized that as a man, you have a different, usually have different strategies to avoid trouble or to avoid, you know, people accosting you or whatever or being seen as a threat I suppose but I mean firstly I am also hyper aware of my surroundings when I'm moving in the cities uh, in any city uh, I'm always really really I know way before something is going to happen or someone threatening is going to do something I usually have a feeling about that so so I have a I, I observe very far ahead uh, but then I kind of have the opposite strategy in terms of avoiding trouble is kind of averting my gaze, not looking at people when I come close to them. So kind of, you know, minding my own business, showing that I'm minding my own business, showing that I have a purpose. I'm going somewhere. I'm, I'm not going to accost you or whatever. Um, so I think that's, that, that's something that differs. I also kind of exude something, I think. I usually wear a frown when I'm in the city. Uh, I usually probably look kind of I'm not open and smiling and looking in at people, looking people in their eyes to, to, to sort of signal openness, but I'm doing quite the opposite. So I'm probably frowning a lot. But at T-Central, and it's not just the massive amounts of people that kept residents on alert, it was also how those people are controlled. There are lots of visible police at the station, and for some Stockholmers of color, that created a real insecurity. Around... Norman in the central end, but at night time or you know when it gets dark, <laughs> when it gets because there is like a lot of um, police around there and many criminal activities like robberies and there's also people that are taking drugs. So that's why it feels a little less safe. We've gone through these periods of Riava, for instance, where they were checking people's papers at the exits and entrances to the subway. You know, those kinds of things when you feel the state and the privatized um, state's security management sort of thing. So basically for me, the things that are presented as safety enhancing are actually terrifying to me. That makes me feel unsafe. Um, so it's in that sense, it's not so much a place as it is, well, maybe the subway <laughs> or, you know, store entries. And um, and I say that for, 
for embodied and experienced reasons, but also for political reasons, because I think there's a discourse right now in Sweden that's very much about all the political parties are engaging in questions of safety and we keep our safe that we are concerned with the safety of our citizens and so forth and so on. And I, I think that whole discourse is um and you know, fostering, encouraging, you know, anxiety and stress in in the population. I think of the places where whiteness and wealth have to be protected as unsafe mm-hmm. places because um it creates very much a sense of um anxiety and hostility i i don't see i've never seen diversity as as something that's frightening but obviously i've realized that for a lot of white people it seems to be so i'm mostly afraid of white people in her paper policing difference stockholm-based sociologist vanessa barker talks about how the police publicly create and reinforce social hierarchies I think that there are really powerful agents, right? In fact, they're not just sort of reflecting or reproducing the social order and social relations, but they're really these active agents in creating new identities, right? So the in a, like people who felt like they belonged all of a sudden are told basically the way they're confronted by the police are told that they don't belong. And that's a really, uh, and these are state figures, right? So it's not just sort of somebody in a position of authority, but it's someone who has the authority of the state through violence. So they're very powerful figures. Um, There's a a number of different cases. And one, I think, another compelling example that I came across in the early, relatively early stages of my research on this was when the police were involved in a a border control um, operation. This was in the beginning of taking police, like domestic police, and having them carry out border control migration issues. In her paper, Vanessa talks about a 2013 collaboration between the Migration Board and the police that gave the police the power to assist in expediting deportation orders. The police went about this by demanding proof of rightful residencies from quote-unquote foreign-looking people in public spaces. One key location in Stockholm was T-Centralen. For Vanessa, the publicness of these searches had a very specific purpose. So it's called Reva, R-E-V-A, this Reva operation. But what was uh, distinctive or interesting about this, it wasn't doing border control at the border, right, at airports, those kinds of things like that. They were doing basically border control in the center of the city, in all these transportation hubs in Stockholm, in Malmö, in Gothenburg. And what they were doing was they were trying to find people who had a deportation order. So there were series of people migration board had given orders to leave the country. They didn't have a legal right to remain. And they basically charged the police with trying to find them. And what happened was the police went to transportation hubs to try to locate people. I mean, first you want to ask, well, why didn't they take, why didn't didn't this occur at a, you know, kind of earlier stage um, or go to known addresses or former employments. You know, there's all sorts of other ways they could have done this, but they did this more public, high visibility operation in the center of towns, right? So you think about the public spectacle of policing as well. Highly visible, T-Centralen, pulling people over when they come through the turnstile. And so they were asking people for their identification. And this is something that was not done in Sweden or in Europe, right? The whole ID card, asking for identification, it's really seen as a, a, in violation and intrusion into your personal integrity to be asked for your ID. And 
so they have they have deportation orders right they're looking for people but instead of pulling over random people which would be random or arbitrary and then you could say we're all affected we're all being in intruded upon mm -hmm. they would pull over or ask to stop people of color right or ethnic minorities people with foreign background and so they stopped people the high rates of people nine, nine out of ten were like foreign background and most of those had citizenship mm -hmm. and or legal residence but that encounter with the police right so a it's happening in the center of town in a public square they're pulled over by the police already like suspect you think about how stigma works they're asked for their id other people are just going about commuters going about their business they're clearly pulled and circled because of the way that they look right and that's what the police the, some of them would say like the foreign looking this was a an efficient way of going about this and it's also communicated to them that their belonging or their suspiciousness is not only about some potential idea that they have no legal right to remain they're suspicious as members of the society and so it was a real real um public outrage i mean on you know the positive side of sweden that these police operation and it was known it had this racial profiling element to it it upset people and i mean not only people who were profiled but you know you're kind of ordinary citizen and there were a number of of public protests in the subways uh, protesting this kinds of thing and eventually it was kind of shut down and, and sort of moved around but so it wasn't as if people in Sweden thought oh yeah that's you know that's the way you're going to do it um, so there was a kind of pushback against the the policing their their role um, but in that moment right again it's kind of creating categories of belonging doing this in a really public uh, in a public manner that signals to other people But Tisentralen isn't just a place where people are controlled. It's also one of the most visible protest locations in Sweden. Every train station in the city has a public square. And as the biggest train station in the city, Tisentralen has a public square to match. Sunken below street level so that it's accessible to the station below, Segostori or Platen is decked in black and white pavers that make it stand out from the surrounding streets and shops. Segelstory is so large that it's known for enormous demonstrations of all kinds, from the anarchist to the authoritarian. Plattan is what they call the main square of Tiesentralen. Plattan. And um, that's where like most demonstrations are held, and like a lot of very historic. Uh, marches and demonstrations in Stockholm are placed there. And that's also why there's a couple of stairs that go up from where the demonstrations are held. And they've, they built like um, a pulpit, just a place where people can stand there and do speeches, you know. And then they can have speakers, loudspeakers, and, uh, um, and talk to the people. So it's really like it's the city thought of how important this space is for expressing your opinions and freedom of speech. Uh, so they really built it into the design of, of the square um, when they reconstructed it. And, and everyone has to pass the central station. That's why it's an interesting of a space. But, you know, and that's why you get all kinds of people who, who pass there, you know, rich people, business people, drug addicts, people who sell drugs. You have kids, you have youth, you have 
immigrants, you have Swedish people, native people. Yeah, like anyone has to pass there. So in that sense, it's also like the heart of the city, center of the city. Because you can just sit on the stairs and people watch there as well. And then you see people all, of all kinds of people, you know. Segel's story may be well-trafficked in protests, but for an older generation of activists like Gunila, who was very active in the anti-war communist movement, the place is a bit sanitized and contained. No, there, I, I think it's a place that is so, so porous, so you couldn't gather there. I have a remembrance once when I was in Rome, <laughs> And and I was at the Termini, that central station, which is a very big hall, open and just like a street. And when I was there trying to find a ticket for somewhere, there was a big demonstration going just through the station hall. And then I could think this is a very open place where you can have a demonstration. In Stockholm, the Central Hall is so crowded with uh, all sort of um, selling and, and uh, propaganda for different commercial things. <laughs> so it, you couldn't get into it. You could never think of going with a demonstration through the Central <laughs> Central in, in Stockholm. It's just crowded with uh, commercialization. So. You have to find places where this doesn't happen. <laughs> Whether in protest or simply passing through, the density of T-Centralen and Segel's Tori created a special opportunity. Standing out became a little less difficult of a proposition. Similar to Châtelet Léal in our season on Paris, the central train station became a place for counterculture to gather. No, I think it's definitely been... As a child, I have very strong memories of the Normalm and the city centre. Also, this is where always my mom went when we went shopping on Saturdays. And a really strong memory that I still like, you know, every time I hear it, I, like... Uh, warms my heart is that when in the 80s when I was a kid uh, Hare Krishna used to like in a train like dance around the city <laughs> like starting in Sargent's story uh, but then they could like move in this massive train uh, dancing and singing uh, and you can hear them coming uh, with their little bells and drums uh, and that's like something from the urban fabric that I miss today because uh, they're like, like if there were hundreds of Hare Krishna when I grew up, they feel like they're like five today. I think I always found Saigel's Toy this mesmerizing place. Uh, I think still to this day is one of my favorite places in Stockholm. I think it's absolutely magnificent in that sense. Uh, and also it had this all these walks of life of people. It used to be this lady who was, uh, used to play Christian songs on a, what do you call it, electric piano. And she became like this institution in Sweden. She was there every day, depending whether. 
and she was just singing for the Lord, like like her heart heart burst, and you know this electric piano had all these signs and tape. It's been up with her for such a long time; it's like falling apart. And she sold these cassettes where she was singing, so she was part of the urban fabric. Um, there was also break dancers when I was really small. It was very much like drug dealing going on in that side. But you know, it was. I think this was this just mix of all the people in Sweden that would um, would meet in this like nexus of the city, and I really enjoyed that. It was just more like hanging out, not in the place for like fun stuff. It was just like being angry, hanging out with punk rockers, and mostly just like sitting in cold stairs and screaming and. Like this leather jacket with all of these sharp. Is it called just nails? No, nitar. Spikes. It's called spikes. And um, having a mohawk and like corpse paint and stuff like that. When people talk about like young kids today having so much makeup, I'm like, I wore just like the same amount of makeup, but in a very different way. <laughs> like I did not do contouring. I looked like a uh, baby-faced Alice Cooper, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was also like all of, all of like a lot of drunk adults and young kids not having anywhere to go or having somewhere to go that they really don't want to be. A lot of angry kids and like I still remember that it was not as bad as it is today with like when you, when you have to, like if you can't afford a traveling card, it was easier to just like sneak into the subway. Today they are fucking mean. Like they were, they were mean back then, but today they are mean. For Timimi, a poet and indigenous rights activist, Tisan Trollen was a place to hang out with other countercultural scenes. For them, the train station was a place for outsiders without a lot of options. I think it was because some of us knew exactly why we were angry and sometimes we didn't. But just to find other, other people and young kids being stared at because of the way that we looked and having a somewhat unsorted political agenda, at least. And maybe we didn't all agree, but everyone needed that space. Everyone needed that thing. And instead of being stared at because you were indigenous or because you had big tits or because you were black or because you were super short, it was instead that you made it a statement that I have a fucking mohawk or I have all of these spikes, or I shave my entire head and my eyebrows. And then it's just like, yeah, if you're going to stare, then fucking stare. I'm going to make it a show. Everybody loves a freak show. Everyone always wants a freak show. Everybody always wants to be enlightened and entertained, and preferably at the same time. And I think that's what subculture does. And I think that's partly why subculture was created, both as a survival mechanism to be like okay if if you're gonna stare anyways then i might just do this people are in general very have so much built up anxiety due to these questions and they just want to be part of something 
and then it's easier maybe to be a part of a subculture because it's it's a struggle always having to reclaim your roots and claim that space. In our conversations with Stockholmers, Tiesenthalen became more than a train station. It was almost a portal into a hyper-Stockholm, where the city's pleasures and anxieties nodded together. Sergestor. I still love Sergestor. It's like there's so many stories connected to Sergestor. Uh, we have the big culture house. This now is getting renovated, but usually it has a library where people from all around Stockholm go. Um, there's the city theater, a bit more exclusive though, not everyone goes there. But still you have these art spaces that are for free. Um, there's a meeting point for the whole, and it's also actually the geographical center of the city, but I would say that that is also one of my center. Also to me, I think, you know, Kulturhuset actually, the, the, the main cultural house in, in the central Stockholm, at Sergei's Tori. Uh, I like sitting up in one of the bars and watching down, looking down at the, um, at the square down, I mean, down, uh, looking people at people coming and going and you feel the buzz of the city. You feel like you're really in the middle of the city and you're inside culture. Uh, I like that a lot. I like that place. That's where I, uh, yeah, I like to go there every now and again. It's a long time since, but I really like sitting there because you feel all the, you get to experience all the paradoxes of the city, all the problems of the city, but also kind of the beauty of so many people moving, you know, uh, and almost touching each other, <laughs> but not really. As hectic as it was every time I went through Tiesenthalen, it gave me a special sense of Stockholm. It's a place where so many of the dispersed elements of life were all crammed together into one space. The diversity, the rebellion, the commercial and the controlled, all wrapped in one. But big chaotic central train stations are nothing unique. From Penn Station in New York, to Châtelet, Léal, and Paris, these huge super hubs that connect whole regions are pretty common. But in the city of Stockholm, where norms and standards are constantly reinforced in the urban fabric, Tiesenthalen stood out as a breakpoint, where the city could breathe and stretch and wreak a little havoc. Next episode, we'll take the hustle and bustle all the way down and visit a place where Stockholmers said they couldn't live without. Nature. We are produced with the generous support of the Graham Foundation for Advanced Studies in the Fine Arts and Konstnaushnamden, the Swedish Arts Grants Committee. Thank you to our senior producer, Adelaide Pajman-Ponte, and our team of graduate assistants from the Architecture Department at the Rhode Island School of Design. Kimberly Ayala Nahira. Bilal Ismail Ahmad. Congratulations, Bilal, on graduating. Daniel Guerrero. Uthman Aloha. 
Fatu Kamara consults for the show, Corey Jacobs does the music, and Adrian Lilly does our sound design. If you're not a Patreon subscriber yet, what are you waiting for? This may be your last chance to support your friendly neighborhood urbanism podcast. You can get beautiful stickers as well as exclusive mini episodes. On social media, you can find us at dragons underscore podcast. And also check out our website and newsletter, which are all full of fun content like readings, maps, and videos. The season is almost over, if you can believe it. If you have a comment or question, now is your chance. We really, really do want to hear from you. So record and send your messages to htbdpodcast at gmail.com. You might end up on the show. And last but certainly not least, please rate and review us five shining stars wherever you stream the show. Okay, until next time, this is Here There Be Dragons. For me, okay, I'm going to be honest, I thought that was Stockholm, okay? <laughs> like, but I usually go there when it's like we're going to do something big, like me and my friends. So, yeah, it's, you know, today we're going to TSN Central because it's fun. It's fun. I like it there.